Hi, this is Pastor Ryan Spooner. I'm so glad that you're listening to our sermon podcast. I hope it's a blessing. If you live in the area, or even if you don't, we would love to have you join us on a Sunday morning. We meet at 10.30 a.m. at the Millworks in Willington, Connecticut, 156 River Road. Also, if you'd ever like to help support our church financially, we would be extremely grateful. You can donate through our website, stpaulschurchct.org. Thanks. All right. Good morning. So, as you can see, we're doing something a little bit different today. Um, This is Peter Scalzo. He is my uncle-in-law. Some of you may remember him. Uh, He spoke here... Getting some feedback. Is it me? No, no. Uh, He spoke here before COVID, so it's been quite a while, and... um, I figured that even though there's some things he'll probably share that if you were here three years ago, you may have heard. Um, Plenty of people who are here now were not here three years ago. And even if you were here, three years is a long time. And you may have forgotten a lot of what he had to share. And of course, he has more to share because he's lived three more years of life. Um, But Peter has a a pretty remarkable story. And I thought it would be a good fit for our Christ the Healer series. As you know, if you've been here, we've been going through a series on Jesus' healing miracles. And uh, Peter has his own experiences with healing that I thought would be great for him to share. Um, So let's uh, let's welcome him. Glad you could be here, Peter. Thank you. Um, So one quick note. We're going to go through several questions that I have for Peter. Uh, This is going to be kind of an interview-style message. And uh, at the end, I'm going to open it up where you guys are free to ask questions of Peter uh, if you want to. So be thinking about that as we go through the interview, if there's something that I've missed or some follow-up to one of the answers that he gives that you would like to ask a question about, you will have an opportunity at the end. So, Sounds good? All right, so uh, Peter, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, some background. Okay, first of all, thank you for having me this morning. I've been looking forward to this. In full disclosure, I just finished a move from one, from an apartment to a house. It took me six days. So if I seem a little bit disoriented, that's why. In fact, Pastor Ryan, feel free to fill in anything that I miss that you know about me. Sarah Spooner is my niece, and she was my interior designer, my decorator. So she's been busier than me, practically. So, uh, and Pastor Ryan helped out also. But I just want to thank you all that I have this opportunity this morning just to share a little bit about my story. You know, we all have a story or testimony of God at work in our lives, and uh, and just to give a resume this morning of my life briefly. I grew up in Brookfield, Connecticut, the youngest of four children. I grew up in a family business and married at the age of 21 while I was still in college. Proceeded to have six children, of which uh, my number four child is sitting right over here, Spencer. (laughs) And if you're thinking to yourself, hold on, Peter, you're 5'9", and he's 6'2", 
the football coaches also had a problem with that. And they would say, would Spencer Scalzo's father please help out? And I would stand up and they'd say, no, we're looking for Spencer's dad. <laughs> um, but anyway, so six children and uh, worked in my family business. And then I went to law school, became an attorney, uh, practiced law for 25 years. And uh, I would like to say everything worked out wonderfully. And yet, uh, I like to call it Dark Nights of the Soul for you St. John of the Cross fans, or walls, or trials, however you want to state it, but those earthquake events in our lives. And I would say the first earthquake event that I dealt with was my oldest daughter going through a drug addiction journey for six years, which encompassed just about everything that a drug addiction journey can have two years of inpatient rehab, an overdose, criminal record, and dropping out of school, and all that. I'd like to say today she's, she's close to the Lord and, and, and doing well. She's actually 34. Um, and then a, a marriage struggle, a marriage struggle which actually, my marriage ended in 2020 after 36 years of marriage, so I'm actually a single man right now. And uh, of particular interest today is a cancer struggle, a cancer journey that I've been on. Uh, I am entering my 18th year, and I'll just give highlights of that journey. Uh, I've had 15 mostly major surgeries. I don't count procedures and tests and things like that. My, some of my surgeries were first impression surgeries, first time they were done. I, I had all these surgeries done, and Manhattan at either Memorial Sloan Kettering or uh, Lenox Hill. Um, I've had six recurrences. I have chronic kidney disease because my kidneys were damaged. Um, I have had radiation treatment and chemo rinses, um, and I'm entering my seventh year of immunotherapy systemic treatments. And of particular interest usually for uh, cancer patients, those who are struggling with cancer, is twice Memorial Sloan Kettering told me to go home and call hospice. That was in 2015 and 2017. So I've had a lot of um, ups and downs, dark nights of the soul, struggles through this cancer journey, uh, including facing my own mortality. And uh, here I am this morning. Uh, gratefully giving testimony of what God has done in my life. Uh, but for resume purposes, I don't know if there's anything else I should add. No, that's, that's great. Okay. Yeah. So tell us about how you've experienced Christ's healing power in your own life. Okay, and that's, uh, that's a, a loaded question, isn't it? Um, and I'm, so I'm going to focus uh, another... Uh, I've been on disability from my, I had to leave my practice of law seven years ago, and I've been on disability, uh, and I have focused in the areas of recovery, uh, particularly Celebrate Recovery, which is a Christ-centered 12-step program where Jesus Christ is the higher power, and I focus on cancer support. I've been running a cancer support group now for 16 years. Um, and. Recovery is something I got into when my marriage was failing. 
uh, about nine years ago, I was in a, a very dark place with my marriage, and my, my wife and I were in a therapist's office, and I was busy pointing the finger at her, saying she's the problem, uh, she is the issue. And fortunately, the therapist was a Celebrate Recovery pastor who was able to say to me, let's do some work on you. And that launched a year-long uh, Skyping session because she was down in Texas for two hours every week. We did what's called a step four fearless and moral inventory, which just means an honest look into myself. I've been in the evangelical church for 50 years. And this was, at, this was after 42 years of being in the church. I was an elder at Walnut Hill Community Church, which had 3,000 people going. And I was, I was the attorney for the church. And I was very active. I've been to Christian college, Christian-based law school, very active in the evangelical church. And I had never been honest with anyone. I had some secret sins. I had some areas that I didn't feel like I could be honest because I was concerned about shame and condemnation. And I'd never told one person or anyone some of the things that I was struggling with. So this was the first time after 42 years where I felt safe. And I was actually ready to disclose to another person what was really going on beneath the water, the, made the a majority of the iceberg. Because what I showed people was not that. And in the context of Recovery, I became aware of my issues. And when I'm, I've been ministry leader for three years now, I work with the state, with CR. And so when I introduce myself, I say, I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ. I struggle with codependency, which is getting my value worth from people, looking to people for attention, recognition, basing my value as a person on performance and how well I do. I struggle with anxiety. I struggle with resentment, unforgiveness. I struggle with unhealthy anger and lust. These are areas that I struggle with and I come right out and say it. I'm transparent and vulnerable about it because I found freedom and healing in being vulnerable about my issues. So when I talk about healing in my cancer journey, getting into recovery for me, and a lot of times people think of recovery only in terms of drugs and alcohol and porn, those were not my issues. But God steered me into a 12-step recovery program. And I never would have thought 12 steps would have been applicable to my life. The first step is about recognizing that I'm powerless to fix myself and I need a higher power. And the third step talks about turning my life and my will over to my higher power. So. I've been in this cancer struggle, as I said, I'm going into my 18th year. My New York City doctors say I'm an anomaly, that I shouldn't be alive. In fact, my one surgeon travels around the world and talks about my case all the time because of the surgical intervention and how well I have responded to immunotherapy. I'm in less than a 1% category of people that have responded the way I have to the treat treatment. So, Within the context of that cancer struggle, the issue has been, well, God, what's in this for me? What do you want to show me in this? I believe, as a Christ follower, that when I gave my life to Jesus Christ, I transferred my citizenship. And that's Colossians talks about that, transferring from 
darkness into the kingdom of light. And so, and 1 Corinthians talks about that you are not your own, you've been bought with a price. And so I thought, well, this diagnosis of cancer, I have no control over. It wasn't from a bad decision of mine. And, and so uh, I knew that this trial had been filtered through God's hands first. He, I don't believe he caused the harm, but I believe he allowed it just like Job or Paul's thorn in the flesh. That there are times when God allows things in our lives to bring us to a place of an end in ourselves. And that's the place that he brought me. And so when I looked into, well, Lord, what are you doing in my life? It wasn't so much about physical healing. It was more about inner healing. And I started on an inner journey. That inner journey, uh, just very briefly, is about recovery as part of it. I was an emotion stuffer, a feeling stuffer. So I became... Uh, I became aware of a program called Emotional Healthy Spirituality and ended up awakening some of my surgeries. What happened was God used them to awaken my emotions within me, to give me permission to feel fear, anger, sadness, tough emotions, and to process them with Jesus and to get healing, inner healing, from being able to process those tough emotions. I had always grown up saying, I'm not going to show emotion, I'm not going to show weakness, I'm not going to show vulnerability, and I stuff that stuff. So healing for me was getting into this inner journey. Uh, I'm going to mention something that's key for me in the inner journey, and it's, it's, it's Matthew 5.3 where Jesus stands up to launch his public ministry, his constitution, so to speak, and he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That concept of being poor in spirit, poverty of spirit, is something that I attain to every day, but it involves me getting to a place where I recognize my own brokenness. Again, it's like step one of the 12 steps where I know I can't fix myself, I'm powerless. I choose powerlessness. And therefore, I am dependent on God to do a work in me and through me. It's about him doing that work in me and through me. So I, I choose that. I choose poverty of spirit. And then on the physical side, I've experienced some of what the doctors call miracles. And I'll get into that in just a little bit. Or you want me to do it now? Um, no, I would say go for it. I just want to add one thing. Yes. I, I was listening to somebody recently. I can't remember for sure who it was, but... Uh, he gave a paraphrase of blessed are the poor in spirit as blessed are those who are not ruled by their ego. Yeah. And I thought, oh, that's good. Yeah. I want to remember that. that <laughs> but it fits with you know, what you're yeah. describing in terms of recovery. Uh, it's interesting that I asked the question about healing and yeah. probably I and everybody else are, are expecting you to start talking about what you just left off on, which was, oh yeah, I'll talk about you know, my physical healing. Right. But the first thing that comes to your mind is to talk about this inner work that's gone on, which the crisis of the physical issues seem to push, you know, it, it kind of furthered it, right? right. Like, so there's, there's, a, there's a positive element to the physical distress you've been through, right. which is that it's helped to facilitate this inner spiritual and emotional healing. Yes. Yeah. And uh, in 2005, what happened... Uh, 
my initial surgery couldn't be done locally. I, w I ended up down at Memorial Sloan Kettering in New York City. I had five tumors in my bladder and was told that if they had escaped the bladder wall, I would live about six months. I was 43 years of age, and I had never had major surgery before. So it was two surgeons worked on me for about seven hours, and when I entered the operating room, I was quoting a verse that I believe God gave me, which is Galatians 2.20, for I have been crucified with Christ, no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the operating table was in the shape of a cross. And as I spread out my arms to have the IVs and all that inserted, uh, I felt God spoke to my heart. And what I heard him say was this, I'm going to remove the physical cancer from you, but I'm also going to remove the spiritual cancer from you. And when I was going under, I actually questioned, what do you mean by that? I had no clue what that meant. And it wasn't until I got into, actually 10 years later, when I got into uh, the whole recovery, uh, that whole uh, process of looking inward and being honest about my issues, being in a safe place. It's one thing about recovery is we create a safe place a safe space so that no one's trying to fix. There are definite rules and it fosters just, just safe communication like that. And you know, there's desert fathers, the old guys that say, you have to know yourself. Once you know yourself, then you can know God. So there's a great part about being honest and open about what's going on in, in my life. Um, so the inner, for me, the healing was the inner journey. That's what the transformation was. In fact, I've, I've had many people talk to me about healing, physical healing in the cancer space, and I've, I have been prayed over many times. I've had oil poured over me, and I even was part of an all-night prayer vigil that the elders and the pastors did for me. It was 21 of them, and it was actually all night. And physical healing was something that I definitely was open to. I, was, I prayed for it. I asked for it from Jesus. But uh, one time, not that long ago, I had a very, um, shall I say, uh, anal kind of person come to me. And, and he was upset, very upset. And he said to me, I don't get it because I quote the healing verses and I say the right prayers and people are not getting healed. And he said, what do you think about that? And I said, why don't you talk to a theologian or your pastor? And he said, no, I want to talk to you because you're in the thick of it. So I prayed, Lord, is this, is this a conversation that I want to get into? And God said, yes. So I met with him and I said, Lord, you're going to have to share with me what I'm supposed to tell this person. And it dawned on me that um, what my view, what God had, where God had brought me in the physical healing space. And that was to ask Abba Daddy for healing, of course, to ask him. He still heals today, right? He's still our great healer, and to ask him for that. But then I say this, put healing on a shelf and look at what God wants to do inwardly in the person. How does God want to transform the person or me through this journey, through this difficult journey? So I focus on that. We recently, I'm, uh, I have a website and a book 
I've got uh, like 20 books back there for whoever wants to pick one up, please do so. But the podcast uh, that we're going to be launching on all the major platforms is called Cancer and Peace. And my website's cancerandpeace.com, which will be launched next month. And it's about entering the space of cancer and doing the inner journey and finding inner peace spiritually and emotionally. And I don't find much of that out there in the, in the sphere. And so I think this is where God at least wants me to speak into that space. Now, sorry to go on that tangent, but physically, you want yeah. me to talk about a physical healing event? Or yeah, no? tell us um, kind of the most uh, medically defying okay. moment uh, of yeah. your journey. Um, if you do pick up one of my books, the, the, the sea change event for me in my cancer journey was in 2015. For 10 years, I had surgical remedies for my cancer. Tough surgeries, but nevertheless, they took, they, they would at, at least uh, take care of the cancer that they could see. And for me, just in a, in a very quick way, they, they removed my bladder, prostate, the ureters, which are tubes leading from the kidneys down to the bladder. Those things have been removed and replaced with intestinal tissue. And it's been done three times. So it's very major surgeries, a lot of uh, changes that I've had done um, inside of me. And in 2015, uh, my cancer became metastatic. And we didn't think it was. I had three surgeons working on me down at Lenox Hill Hospital on November 2nd of 2015. They worked 10 hours. And at one point, they stood, they were standing there and there was 50 years of experience between the three surgeons and they said to each other, what do we do next? And when I woke up, there were plumbing drawings by permanent marker on my, on my pillowcase next to my head. They were trying to navigate this thing strategically. What do we do? This was, a, this was a first impression surgery. My doctor, who's a world leader, Sloan Kettering couldn't handle my surgeries anymore. They needed more expertise and they sent me to this particular surgeon who's a world-class surgeon at Lenox Hill. And, um, and so he said, he wrote and said that this was uh, uh, the most extensive urologic surgeon, at least one that, that he has ever done. It talks about this case. But when I woke up, he's a very direct and blunt doctor, if you've ever had one like that. Not so much on the sensitivity side, but he's a surgeon. And so when I woke up, he said to me, it was much worse than what we thought. And there was cancer wrapped around your aorta. There's, there were cancer all through the ureters. And he said, there's no way that we got it. You're going to need a high-powered chemo. But he said, I don't know who's going to give you that high-powered chemo because your, your kidneys, it's going to destroy what kidney function you have left. And that's true. I tried Yale, Sloan, and some other Lenox Hill, and no one would give me chemo after that surgery because of my kidney function. So, let, and metastatic urothelial high-grade cancer, what I had, I knew in that hospital that I had a 5% survival chance. That's, that's what the stats were. And so, I, you can read about it in the book, but in 2015, I ended up going into a depression in that hospital. I ended up going into a funk, to an abyss, dwelling in fear, anger, and sadness and couldn't get myself out 
and that's where my really my inner journey began in the sense of one of my buddies came down. I was down. I, when I go to the hospital for major surgeries, I'm there for at least 30 days. I was there. I was in intensive care. One of my buddies came. I, told, I said, no guests. He didn't listen. And he came into my hospital room, and, and he said, God told me to bring this down to you. And it was an empty journal. Put it on my chest. And I'm like, what the heck am I supposed to do with this? I don't want to see anyone. I don't want to talk to God. I don't want to read scripture. I don't want anything. And after about four days, I picked that journal up. I started to write, and I wrote the reality of my situation. The people of God are praying. I was told it would be fine. You told me I would have a ministry out of this. That's all wrong. So what happened was unlocking my emotions and what was going on inside me, which I had never done before, was the jump start of my healing. And God started to rescue me and speak to me. I've been with you always. It's, you can read about it in, in the book. But that led me up to 2017, and this is the healing event. Sorry, Pastor Ryan. You're being very gracious up here. Um, and so I was in another hospital with my surgeon, and I had a tumor the size of a tennis ball in my bladder and tumors all throughout my urinary system and outside of it. And, um, and my surgeon and my oncologist came in, and they were teary-eyed, and my, the fellow for my surgeon, because I'd gotten to know everyone very well, he was crying, and it was like, okay, we're done. We're done here. You need to quit work, go on disability, go home, call hospice care, get your affairs in order. We're all set. And so um, as I transitioned to my house and in that mindset, and you know, there's a lot involved with that, like what do I want to, what kind of a legacy do I want to leave? There's a lot of things that go through your mind if you've ever had an end-of-life diagnosis like that. Um, or anything like that where you've been scared, there's a lot of things that go through your mind about what kind of a legacy do I want to leave and what's really important in life to me. Six months earlier, the FDA had approved an immunotherapy drug for metastatic bladder cancer or urothelial patients with poor kidney function, which was me. Sloan Kettering had offered me two clinical trials but clinical trials in phase one are tough because you don't know if you're getting the placebo or the drug. So my doctor said, let's go with this new immunotherapy drug. It was my only option, really. And, um, and I remember the first treatment, having flu-like symptoms, and he'd, he would scope me in his office. So he, he put the cysto in, and I looked up on the screen, and I said, wow, the, the tumor's big. He said, no, it's, that's, it's about a golf ball size now. He said, so you're getting a response to this immunotherapy. And immunotherapy was very new, and, and the data wasn't all there. And they were seeing reductions in tumors, and, and that's about it, but nothing, nothing wild. Three more months went by, and I went into his office, and he put the scope back in, and he starts screaming. The tumor's gone, the tumor's gone. He said, I've never seen that kind of a response. So, of course, being a faith-filled giant like I am, I said, immunotherapy, wow. And he goes, immunotherapy, nothing. I said, this is God. And this is not a 
religious or spiritual guy, really. But he said, this is, this is God. This is God at work here. And so I know that at that point, the tumors were gone. And I know he, you know, in his medical mind, they just didn't that, get that kind of a response on immunotherapy yet. It was really just coming out. And so he was, he was blown, blown away by that. It's awesome. So you get this incredible moment of miraculous healing, but at the same time, you're not done with cancer. Right. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's, uh, it's funny how... Sometimes we have these expectations about how God's going to work. Like, if he's going to do a miracle, well, then it's going to be, we're in the clear, right? right? Yeah. Or, you know, we expect a, a yeah, complete healing, but you just never know what's going to happen, how it's going to work. But um, that openness to the miraculous is, has been very valuable, I think, in your journey. Um, so, you know, we've been in a series on the healing stories about about Jesus. Is there a story that stands out to you as something that you particularly relate to or that is, is especially significant for you? Yeah, I mean, I, uh, Pastor Ryan had given me some time to think about this. And, you know, physical healing in the cancer space is something that I deal with all the time with other individuals, myself. And, uh, and I've run into the whole spectrum of Christians and how Christians do physical healing. It's really interesting. Um, you know, anywhere from name it and claim it, declarations, you know, all the way to, I'm not sure God heals today, really. He uses only modern medicine. And kind of, that's kind of the spectrum. And I find a lot of, you know, some Christians that distrust the medical profession do alternative treatments only. And, and everyone, it's this whole spectrum of, of thought. Um, and so when I looked at scripture, when I look at scripture at the healing miracles, I, I just marvel at the spectrum of, of the healing miracles. Uh, for, for example, the women who, the woman with the blood flow that grabbed the fringe of Jesus's uh, tunic, his cloak, and, and, and was healed. And he's in a crowd and he said, who grabbed me? And he said he felt power leave him. And that woman on her own initiative grabbed him and, and said to herself, if I could just hold on, if I could just get a, you know, grab a hold of this person's hem or whatever, then I'm going to be healed. And she was healed. All the way to, to the healing of a, of a blind man who doesn't have a clue who's healing him. He doesn't find out till later. You know, he's on the steps of the, of the temple and, and, and Jesus like, you know, would you like to thank this, the person who healed you? And said, I would like to, but I don't know who it is. I am he, you know. And so anywhere from you know exactly who Jesus is and you don't know who he is at all, but he performs this miracle. And so what my favorite story is the Roman officer and he's noted for having great faith. Jesus said, wow, I haven't seen this kind of faith in all Israel. And he's a Gentile too. But he has a highly valued slave that's sick, if you remember the story. And he meets with Jesus and he says, don't even bother going to my house because I get authority. I understand it because I'm a man 
in authority. And I know all you have to do is say, he's healed, you don't have to go to him, and it'll be done, because you're the ultimate authority. And I, I believe that with, with healing, is that, is that Jesus will do what Jesus is, is going to do. And I ask him for healing, but I'm going to submit to his authority. When that tumor disappeared, when the cancer disappeared, I was as surprised as anyone that it was gone. I'm surprised now that I'm still alive, really. My doctors uh, said there's no way that I would live more than six months back in 2017. So all I can say, I don't have any special formulas <laughs> in asking God to be alive other than, God, you're in charge. I surrender and I trust in you with this, with the whole healing and, and with life. Does that make sense? It's great, yeah. So I think probably now is a good time to open up to Q&A if anybody has any questions for Peter. Could be just to clarify something he said or um, maybe open up a topic that we haven't even really gotten into, whatever, uh, Dean? think um, I wish that I understood the mind of God <laughs> you know everything is such a mystery I remember in 2017 uh, Nabil Koresh I think is his name I don't know if you remember him but he wrote a book uh, Seeking Allah Finding Jesus and he was with Ravi Zechariah Ministries reaching millions of, of Muslims and a young man 32 years of age right with a young child, married, and um, he was told uh, that he would pass within a year from, from stomach cancer. And I was dealing with my end-of-life diagnosis, and I said to the Lord, of course you're going to keep him on earth and take me, of course. There's no question. Nabil passed exactly one year after the diagnosis, and I keep living. So I have... I, the only thing I can say to that is that I firmly believe God has a purpose and a plan, and he's not done with me yet. When, when I want to joke around, I tell people I'm only medium rare. I'm not well done yet. So he can't say, well done, my good and faithful servant. But, um, so, yeah, it's, it's, up, it's all God's will, right? And it's, it's the mystery of God as to why. I mean, in fact, any of us. During COVID, I had five friends pass, brain aneurysm, heart attack, I mean, in their 50s. Guys, folks who had prayed over me saying, gee, Peter, we really want you to live. One got a cancer diagnosis and passed within two years. Hmm. A great question. Of course, when we think about the healing stories that are recorded in the New Testament, we know that we can't go talk to any of those people today either, right? So they've all, they all passed away as well. And, um, you know, I, I think one way of, of thinking about it is these miraculous healings help us to have faith in healing even beyond the grave, right? Because 
the one who demonstrates the authority to cause these healings in the present, even though we can't make sense of exactly why some people get the healing and some people don't, they point us to have faith in ultimate healing um, beyond, beyond this life. So. Yeah, and I'll just comment, like God has led me into spiritual practices that I thought he never would. And one of them is silence and so solitude. And there's times I'm doing silence and solitude and know that I'm in the heart of where God wants me. I'm not performing, I'm not running a ministry, doing anything, but I'm just communing with him in that place of silence and solitude. I'm like, wow, maybe, Lord. If this is my, you know, I always marvel at Enoch in scripture. Imagine being known, Enoch walked with God. That's what he's known for. Peter walked with God. That'd be a great thing to be known for, right? Doug? Yeah, so in the recovery ministry that I'm a part of, we do things called step studies, and they're four books, and they're basically, they mirror the, the Beatitudes, the eight principles of the Beatitudes. And so I've been through step studies maybe 10 times, and I, I, I usually lead them, but every time I go through a step study, I get so much out of it. The questions are exactly the same, and usually for the first step, the issue is realize I'm not, I'm not God and I'm not in control. And so it's like, well, what do I think I'm in control of? I've answered that question for nine years now. And I think where I'm at with that question is I'm only in control of my responses to stuff, to stuff but I'm not in control of people, places, or things. And I'm, you know, I'm powerless to actually fix myself. So that's where my higher power comes in, where Jesus comes in. But we do a lot of work through all the steps. The, the 12 steps, just very briefly, the first three steps are about peace with God. The next three steps are about peace with ourselves. And then three steps after that are peace with, with others, making amends, those kinds of things, after we've experienced healing. I never thought I'd be in a 12-step program, but it's been excellent. It's been great for me. Anybody else? I would just say, please pick up. There are 20 books back there. If you know someone you can give one to, or if you want to read it yourself. Yeah, there should be enough back there that if there was one per household, um, then there's plenty. And uh, if everybody grabs one per household and then there's still some left over and you think it would make a good, like Peter says, just, a good gift for somebody, you can grab another one. I, I speak publicly quite a bit and I've never asked to speak anywhere. I'm always, I mean, I've never requested it. I've always been asked. And I was at a gala, faith-based gala in 2019 and three people came up to me independently asking to read my book. And I'm like, I don't have a book and I don't want a book. And I'm not, I don't want to work on one. And then a pastor, a Spanish speaking pastor who I didn't know came up to me and said, 
God told me to, to tell you to write a book. That's how I am. I have to get hit over the head with a two by four and then I'll respond. <laughs> anyway, thank you all. Yeah. And last question is uh, how can we be praying for you? Oh, wow, that's a great question. Just, uh, I think, um, health-wise, always, I could, in the past two months, I've had two MRIs, a CAT scan that brought a PET scan, and a surgical procedure, and an uh, infusion. So I'm always in the cancer space, and I, I, I always feel like I have one foot in eternity and one foot down here. But you can be praying that um, for peace for me, and that... Um, the, this new venture that I'm doing with podcasts and everything, that, that, would, uh, that, that God would really use that for his honor and glory. Sounds yeah. good. Okay, thank you. Well, if it's okay, I will we'll pray for you now. Okay. And uh, thank you so much. Yeah. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for the testimony of Peter's life. We thank you for the work of healing that you've done internally in him, uh, emotionally and spiritually, and the ways that you've used uh, his physical illness to help facilitate that inner work, that inner healing. Uh, Lord, we do pray uh, that you would continue to sustain him physically. Uh, we pray for the uh, remission and removal of the cancer. Um, we thank you that you've sustained him for so long, and we just pray that that would continue. Uh, we thank you that he has the perspective of having one foot in eternity and one foot on earth. We pray that you'd help all of us to have that perspective, um, even without metastatic cancer. Um, but we thank you, Lord, uh, for the view that he has and um, what we can learn from that. Uh, we just pray that you continue to bless him, use his life uh, to testify to your goodness and your power and uh, the freedom and peace that comes from trusting fully in you, in Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you.